Today's episode is sponsored by the Florida Brewers Guild 2020 Craft Beer Festival on Saturday, March 7th. Join the Florida Brewers Guild for their annual event and enjoy over 300 beers from over 70 Florida breweries at Perry Harvey Senior Park in beautiful downtown Tampa, Florida. Tickets start at just $45 for general admission, which includes a commemorative glass and unlimited samples from some of Florida's best brewers. Go with a VIP ticket for $65 and get one hour early admission to the festival. Buy yours now by going to unitedwedrink.com slash guildfest. The festival celebrates everything great about the brewing culture of the Sunshine State and is one of our personal favorite festivals of all time. So be sure not to miss this amazing event. Buy your tickets now at unitedwedrink.com slash guildfest. Must be 21 to attend. Enjoy responsibly. The opinions and statements in this podcast do not represent those of the host's employers, co-workers, family, or imaginary friends. Now enjoy the show. Happy hour, more like amateur hour. Welcome to United We Drink. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the only place on the internet to where you can find a hard seltzer lover, a caffeine head, and a cask beer fan all mildly getting along. Welcome to United We Drink, right here on unitedwedrink.com, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and wherever fine podcasts are found. My name is Mikey Revich, and I was once described by a former boss as, I don't know what he does here. I'm joined by my two co-hosts. First is a man who is looking to sell some slightly used Tampa Vipers attire. Here's Phil Palmasano. I'm not giving up. It's uh, They're only 0-3. <laughs> We're actually recording this during the fourth game. I'm still paying attention. So, um, But your, your intro reminded me of all three personalities that battle inside my head on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is someone who is learning big words galore, thanks to Sam Harris. Here's Joel Codner. <laughs> what can I say? I enjoy increasing my vocabulary while hailing Satan. What's, uh, what's the big word of the day, Joel? I didn't listen to him today, but... Uh... I just I enjoy listening to that podcast because he always drops a new couple of words on me, and then I have to Google it, and they actually turn out to be like really good beer names. Uh, you you sent me a couple of them the other day, and definitely putting them into uh, our little database that we've collected. We are actually recording at night to where we can socially feel okay with drinking. Uh, so what are we drinking? So I am drinking, and I'm going to show you this on the camera, Manor Hill Brewing Keyboard Cowboy. Uh, it is going to be on my Instagram, which I'm not posting to that often lately, so you should be able to scroll quickly and find it. Um, Kurt Kroll from Manor Hill Brewing paid me a visit uh, in the past week. His dad lives in Bradenton. He's from Maryland. Came down here and uh, brought me a couple of awesome cans uh, keyboard cowboy, you know, I refer to them as keyboard commandos, but, uh, it's a really, really good India pale ale with a sweet orange peel. This is just, I wouldn't say juicy, but it has this awesome, like non-bitter citrus flavor. It is orange. It is grapefruit without any sort of acidity. And I just love the label. The art, you know, Kurt did the artwork. Um, the guy has, he's, he's like a sheriff, uh, with like a little hop cone on his badge. And instead of guns, he has keyboards in his holsters, which is just fucking hilarious. And obviously, we, we understand the reference. It's it's in reply to some of the uh, keyboard warriors out there. So uh, great beer. Thank you, Kurt. Great to meet you guys. And I've got their porter queued up for later in the show, as well as uh, another mini bottle of Malort. Mm-hmm. He's uh he's an extremely talented artist. Uh, I oh he's great. I, I've seen a lot of his uh, can work, and uh, it definitely looks awesome. Phil on the beer. I am drinking Sierra Nevada Hazy Little Thing IPA. Just That's a delicious beer. Go to beer right now. It's yeah. uh 
I, I'm digging on a few beers. Uh, Florida Man Double IPA from Cigar City's amazing. Uh, does not drink like an eight and a half percent double IPA. Hazy little thing IPA. Been on an IPA kick lately. Um, not not on the overly hazy side. I still like my IPAs pretty clear. Um, Fancy Papers though is bomb from Cigar City right now. What uh, what hops are in Florida Man? I I don't brew. I, I don't know that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> All it's right, a new recipe mind. i know that so nice it's uh it's not the same as the old 22 ounce bombers or the original release of the cans that were oh, okay. predominantly tasting room there's a brand so new recipe uh year-round availability uh can the artwork on the can is amazing the colors pop yeah Marketing i've seen it yeah ccb did a great job with that in particular mike what are you drinking I'm drinking uh, some Copper Point Lager from a uh, brewery that I work at. Just our nice amber lager. Um, I had I had a few too many beers last night with uh, f- our friend of the show Kevin, and uh, I'm a little still a little hazy in the head right now. So this goes down easy. And then I I have queued up after that some Kyla Hard Kombucha with uh, ginger and tangerine, four and a half percent kombucha. So. You are no longer allowed to make fun of me for seltzers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I this is actually the first ever alcoholic kombucha I've had. I'm I am a big fan of just regular kombucha as it is. I mean, some of them are a little weird flavor combinations that I think is crazy, but ginger tangerine sounds pretty pedestrian to me, so easy for me to drink. Thank you, everyone, for continuing to listen to the show. It's much appreciated, as always. And uh, before we get into our main topic of talking about beer competitions, Phil has some news queued up. Phil, why don't you take it away? Well, damn it, Mike. I guess we better talk about hard kombucha because you're sitting there savoring (laughs) or salivating at this next uh, drink that's on your table. Sierra Nevada actually is not getting into the seltzer game. They are getting into the hard kombucha game with a hard kombucha line by the name of Strange Beast. It, it, did I pronounce that correctly? You guys, uh, it's spelled a little odd. It's S-T-R-A-I-N-G-E, Beast. Um, playing off of strain of probably the the SCOBY, the yeast. Maybe now, strong, Stranger like the movie Boomerang? Uh, maybe, maybe. I, it, it, it's funny because the movie, you, you talk about movies. If you haven't seen the cans, make sure you Google Sierra Nevada Hard Kombucha Strange Beast because the cans actually have this like little shop of horrors mm-hmm. feel and vibe to them. I, I personally love the artwork. And part of the reason why we're bringing this up is Sierra decided not to sort of jump into that hard seltzer category, but they're going in a different direction that some other beverage companies are expanding their portfolio into. My question to you guys with hard kombuchas in particular, outside of a home beverage, do you guys see this as like a bar play? Or is this something that literally you're going to your local grocer convenience store and then bring a can or a bottle home? Uh, I, I think that this is a grocery store uh, type of thing. Um I mean, who knows? It could it could cross over into the bar game, but to me, kombucha is, is always that kind of uh, get it at the grocery store, take home. Uh, it's a compulsive buy for me when I, I buy kombucha. I'm just strolling through the uh, produce section where my local grocery store keeps their kombuchas, like along with their juices and such. So as I'm strolling by there, if I see a cool looking label of like some new one or the flavor combinations uh, sound good to me, I'll usually buy one. And of these, like that, the the strange beast, the passion fruit, hops and blood orange one jumps out at me. Uh, those are all flavors that I really like. Hops and kombucha go very well. Uh, but I mean, you sometimes see kombucha at little cafes, uh, healthy spots so maybe if a place like that has a a liquor license of sorts they can they might uh start putting these on these are pretty high uh, abv too at seven percent so maybe they're trying for the the bar game i don't know 
That's what I was going to say, Mike. And if you go to their website, I mean, right there on the page for the Strange Beast Hard Kombucha is a giant picture of a tap handle. Now, it says available on tap at Sierra Nevada Tap Rooms. I don't know how far Draft has ventured out from their brewery yet, but I'd definitely be interested to pick up a package of it. I totally respect everything Sierra Nevada does. I know it's going to be quality. But like you said, 7% seems a little strange. You know, it, I feel like people who are drinking kombuchas are kind of looking for that healthier aspect. And with everything in beer now trending toward low-cal, low-alcohol, non-alcohol, it's strange to see a hard kombucha come as hard as 7%. So, But uh, it's interesting to see, and, and, and I'm willing to give it a shot. Well, they are going to launch some draft in March in limited cities, and then uh, sort of a second run um, out in like May. Uh, Tampa, Florida is included in the cities of rollout draft. So I'm definitely going to look for it the next time I'm traveling. In addition to that, you know, something to call out. I think Sierra Nevada, when we are looking at offers on premise in particular, and for those of you, off premise is going to be your grocery store, C stores. On premise are going to be more of your bar accounts or restaurants. Sierra Nevada's portfolio in 2019 grew about 4.2% for their off-premise scan data that's reported through IRI, where their overall business, specifically with Sierra Pale, so they're looking for something to sort of make up for this loss of the legacy brand of Sierra, uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Sierra Pale Ale dropped about 6.2% in dollars. So really trying to find that second piece to sort of go with it. Obviously, the beer that I'm drinking is doing fantastic for those guys. Um, so curious to sort of see how the hard kombucha sort of fits into their portfolio in the next year. Speaking of their uh, year-round portfolio, I'm looking at the their site, and I how have I never heard of this wild little thing, brand new sour ale, uh, brand, brand new. new. Yeah, just saw it out in the market actually this past week. Um, there, I believe it just got launched in January. Well, we're going to start to see, I think, some of it in uh, in the state of Florida pretty pretty quickly here. I was in Georgia when I saw it last week. I'm stoked to try that. Looks pretty cool. On to the next piece of news. If you've been listening to us last episode, last full episode, I should say, we talked about festivals. And unfortunately, some sad news came out where Surly has officially announced that they are canceling Darkness Day and they are blaming the Minnesota Growler Law as a result of that. Now, there's some context behind this. Uh, Darkness Day was actually moved about two years ago, just outside of Minnesota, to or just outside of their Minnesota brewery uh, in the Brooklyn Center, to the Somerset Amphitheater, which is actually in Wisconsin. So, something to keep in mind here. Part of the reason why they moved the festival, certainly moved the festival, due to being a little bit safer and more room for the two-day festival. Keep in mind, this is a two-day beer festival. That's huge. Minnesota law also sort of pushed them out because Minnesota law currently states that breweries that produce more than 20,000 barrels per year cannot sell growlers directly to the consumers on site. Now, their owner, Omar Ansari, stated that if Minnesota does decide to change their growler laws, then they can pivot for 2020 and potentially still hold a darkness day. But for the time being, Surly is having to cancel all darkness day activities for 2020. Joel, what do you think about this? Shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's unfortunate. I, I This is one of those things that bothers the hell out of me. And I have this conversation with taproom regulars and people on tours and stuff is that how the laws vary from state to state and how crazy some of them are sometimes and some of this shit just blows me away i mean look at what we dealt with here like with our growler laws that we could sell you 132s and 100 gallons but not a 64 so it's just really frustrating shit i personally love darkness shout out to uh sean in minnesota who always sends me uh, you know, good stuff, been a trading partner for a long time. And I mean, I, I would say the good news is, is that it's suspended and not completely canceled forever. I mean, it it's better than, you know, a brewery closure news. 
Yeah, I I think that this is a this is a statement to be made to their their state and uh, saying like, hey, this event used to bring thousands and thousands of dollars of revenue to our state, to our city that we are in, and we had to go outside of the state to do it. And now, you know what? We don't want to, nothing against people of Wisconsin, and I'm, of course, paraphrasing, and this is conjecture, but we want to bring this back home. We want to bring this back to our our city, our state, and you're not allowing us to do that. So we're not going to do it. We're going to take tax dollars uh, out of the, the city, out of the state, um, until something is done. So uh, I I give them props for doing that. And, you know, like Joel said, it's it's crazy how we can look at our own state here in Florida and be like, man, our, our laws are so weird and crazy and back ass words. Uh, you can look at another state and they have sometimes just as weird, if not worse stuff going on. I didn't know about this law. That's crazy to think. So, uh, and maybe you can clear this up for me, Phil. So this, they're calling this a growler law. They can't do growlers. So does any to-go beer be, cla- is that classified at it? Because these are bottles of darkness, right? Yeah, they're, they're 22 ounce bombers. The, the, the beer is still released in that. I unfortunately did not have time to dig through Minnesota beer law that much more How extensive. How dare you, Phil? I know, so I know. The preparation for the podcast is really lacking on my side right now. Um, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I agree. <but> when, <laughs> I can only imagine the red tape that they had to go through to do this beer festival and execute this beer festival across state lines in another state. Think about that. And then think about how much easier it would be for them to execute it in their home state at their own brewery, one way or the other. And and even the article that I'm quoting from, I want to make sure I give this uh, give credit to the local uh, newspaper. But the the article that we are quoting from with Omar's quotes from City Pages actually states that the the festival itself was a profitable piece in Wisconsin or in Minnesota, obviously. It, you know, think about how many people go out to darkness. It, it, shit, it was one of my bucket list beer festivals. I can only imagine how hard it is for the brewery to come out and say, we're going to suspend this because it, this is a revenue-driving festival. And on top of that, it's been going on for over 10 years, right? Yeah. I mean, probably 11 years. Now, hopefully, they can do a bottle release at the brewery and just not make a festival out of it. Um, but then again, I don't know what Minnesota State Beer Law State because, it, like you said, Mike, it's a growler law, not necessarily a 22-ounce glass law. But perception, right? Yeah. So, eh. Last <laughs> piece of news. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, Surly. We're actually going to keep, uh, I'm going to keep an eye on this because I'm really curious to see if they're able to strong arm Minnesota into changing their production laws to allow for a, you know, tourism rich festival to come back. So let's see what happens. And you're not kidding about the red tape because my, just for myself, just trying to put together like little things on weekends at our brewery and i'm two blocks from city hall the fucking phone tag and email tag and all of the little things that go into just doing something like on a saturday is batshit crazy so to put on something of that magnitude you're absolutely right i mean just to put that on and and, holy shit yeah and you guys have done major major uh, block party stuff where you close the entire uh 300 block of uh your street uh, so that 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 can't be an easy task yeah i mean you're talking emts and porta potties and licensing and the whole fucking deal it's crazy yeah. oh and on top of that you got to sell your beer to distribution at, at think about that right. if you do it at the brewery you don't have to move the beer through distribution when you move it off site, all of a sudden you got to go through distribution. 
That depends on the state and the laws uh, as well. Here in Florida, you do, but uh, something uh, tells me in Minnesota, if they're not going to allow you to sell growlers over twenty thousand barrels of production, yeah. you're probably not going to be able to cross state lines with kegs into oh, Wisconsin. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, just yeah, stating. Final piece of news: Beer Advocate was acquired by Next Glass, the owning company that holds Untapped. This past week, Todd Alstrom was quoted that. Uh, this piece has been in works for quite some time. It will not impact the Beer Advocate beer festivals as there is a new Extreme Beer Fest in the planning for uh, New York City, I believe. Um, but the merging of the two portfolio uh, platforms will begin to happen. So positive news, guys. All of my 2,000 reviews as Dos Beer Egos will now be on Untapped, where I have one review. So all of a sudden, I'm one of the most popular Untapped fucking people ever. <laughs> I don't um, think it's, it's working like that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, at least. Um, anyways, the uh, all joking aside, the when you look at these acquisitions of these websites that popped up in the early 2000s, early 2000 teens, um, obviously rate beer comes to mind. Rate beer was acquired by uh, ZX ventures last year, uh, which is a arm of Anheuser-Busch all about beer magazine, which was one of the larger beer publications actually filed for chapter seven bankruptcy less than two years after acquiring draft magazine in 2017. Is this, in your opinion, the death of the beer publication, or is this more merging of social medias, or a little bit of both? Well, the I mean, the magazine itself uh, went completely away a year or two ago. They went from, I think, monthly to quarterly, and then to not at all. But it was an interesting quote, uh, or not quote, but something that Todd had said in the forum post that he made. Um, was that the company has been treading water for about two years now and really not been doing well. So like seeing something like that, him come out and be so candid about that was uh, interesting. And it, it seems like right now everything's going to still kind of operate as they, as business as usual. Untapped still going to be Untapped. Beer Advocate still going to be Beer Advocate. There's going to be a separation for now, but Todd kind of says like, "Never say never." There might be uh, different implementations done in the future. I mean, this this type of stuff is happening all over the the beer industry. So uh, seeing websites and uh, publications and stuff like that c- condensing and merging. Uh, it, do, it doesn't surprise me at all that uh, this stuff is going on. I would say it's a little bit of both, Phil. Um, obviously, everything's going digital with apps and, and online publications. We've seen the decline of magazines like Beer Advocate, Draft Magazine. So it's it's interesting to see it. I mean, I mean, it's the same thing with newspapers. It's the same thing with lots of other magazines. It's not just limited to the beer industry. And while I don't necessarily have the most positive things to say about either um it it just seems like this is the way things are headed i i I find this interesting i find the untapped piece i never really understood and i really enjoyed actually that was part of the reason why i started my beer advocate profile was basically for the untapped piece but i i never felt it absolutely necessary for me to transfer over my reviews to untapped. And I have a lot of friends that use untapped and constantly ask me, why don't you use it? Why don't you use it? I I have an account. It's registered. I, I'm sure I don't remember the password. It was everything that was really good about beer advocate in the early days when it was simply reviewing and rating your product and you could just give it a quick three stars or five stars. Um, but there wasn't a trading aspect to it. And that's really why I continued to live within that rate beer and beer advocate life because I was so involved in trading, uh, untapped didn't really have that for me, or at least I had to try a little bit harder. I couldn't just jump into a trading forum. I'd have to message somebody and 
hope that they're not a horrible person and rip me off through trading, um, which is now basically Instagram. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean, it's, a, I think it's a necessary thing. I'm really happy to not see the beer advocate beer festivals disappear. Um, those, I think are what beer advocate is to me at this point in time is more their festivals than the website or a publication. I think that uh, beer advocate had, uh, while it did have the rating aspect, the reviewing aspect, I think that one of the big things about them was their community, their forums, um, that, that was a big thing to me. Uh, and I was active on, on some of the forums for a little bit, um, not so much anymore. And I think that that would be a big thing that would be missed if Beer Advocate was to, to go away completely. Um, Rate Beer has forums, but the, I never really saw a whole lot of people using them, especially for the local, like the Florida uh, section of of that back in the day when I was look at using those sites more regularly. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy to see that beer advocates not going anywhere. Um, I'm happy to see them staying up and that untap could step in and allow them to continue. Um, I, it will be interesting to see because they're going to have to, at some point, uh, create some crossover and some, uh, some connection between those two. So I know Beer Advocate was working on an app at one point that was supposed to be a competitor of Untap, but that that got the plug pulled on it. Uh, I think a few months ago that it was just in beta, beta, beta forever, and uh, never got released. But well, hopefully it's the reviews because I really want to be hip and cool again. <laughs> I feel like, unfortunately, Facebook has replaced a lot of the functions of websites like Beer Advocate. Because I remember when I was really active on Beer Advocate, I was and, and it was sort of a beer wasteland down here. I was trying to go on there and promote events that I knew about and post them in that southeast region you know, forum and, and, and post about events and let people know what things are happening. And now it's like you could just go to Facebook and review the brewery there and, and um, promote your events and everything there. So... You know, unfortunately, that's I feel like that's a little bit part of it. Yeah. And final piece um, I, on behalf of everyone and on United We Drink, uh, we'd like to send our condolences to the friends and family and co-workers of uh, those impacted by the Molson Coolers uh, shooting this past week in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It It's pretty sad. Yeah. Uh... Can just sort of yeah yeah but my condolences to anyone affected by by this um it stuff like this shouldn't happen and uh i wish that it didn't uh, that's that's all that i really want to say about that i would say that it is you know great to see the craft community come forward and show support um when it happened i just with my cynicism and you know lack of hope for humankind immediately thought that there would be a lot of craft dorks with snarky comments and shit like that and there were a couple that you know people quickly realized yeah that was shitty of me and they took it down but it really was great to see the quote-unquote craft community come out and and show a lot of support because in the you know at the end of the day we're all beer people. We're all brewers. We're all beer fans, and and it, it was nice to see the show of support and, and uh, solidarity. We're all people in general, so, so just supporting other people is a great, great thing. All right, so moving on to our main topic, we're going to talk about beer competitions. Um, probably the biggest two that uh, might come to mind is Great American Beer Fest that happens every year and has their competition uh, that is associated with it as well, as well as the every other year World Beer Cup, both of these events put on by the Brewers Association. Uh, Great American Beer Fest is specific to just American breweries, while the World Beer Cup uh, encompasses breweries from all over the world competing to win medals for their beers in 
different categories. There's tons of small regional competitions, even larger, uh, but not as big, uh, global and national competitions. It can be a really interesting way to figure out if you're going to be in a competition or not. And what beers do you enter? Uh, this whole process is almost seems like there's a science to it. Um, Joel, we'll start things off with you because you have recently won awards for your beers in competitions, uh, and uh, including last year having the best in show beer at the best Florida beer competition for your Hefeweizen. So what goes into deciding if a competition is worth your time and uh, how do you go about choosing the beers? Well, I'd say there were several factors. I mean, number one, something like GABF where, you know, it's so many entries and it's one of the biggest of all, you know, your odds are less than they would be for something more local. And not only that, but the long window of time between delivering your beer and having it judged. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, that, and that's honestly the one competition that I've entered that I haven't won anything for. And I'm not surprised by that at all, just because I'm, I feel like it's, it's the hardest one to enter, but you know, something like best Florida beer, you know, it's local, you're up against all your, you know, fellow brewers in Florida and, um, it's, it's a maximum of, you know, so many entries, it's less than a thousand. I think, uh, when we won last year, it was, you know, we were one out of 840 this year was a little more than 900. And, um, you know, so you look at, you know, like, what are your odds? You know, what is the expense? Do I have to ship beer? You know, how much is that going to cost me? How many beers do I need to send them? They do have requirements. Like you need to send at least three 12 ounce bottles. Well, for me, I can only send crowlers. That's my only means of packaging right now. So I have to send a minimum of three crowlers per beer. And I just took the day and personally delivered them uh, when they were due. I usually get my beer to wherever it's going at the very last minute because I want it as fresh as possible. And all I have is draft beer and it's in crowlers. So I, I'm just trying to do whatever I can to, to lean the odds in my favor. Um as far as choosing the beers, I would say freshness is definitely a factor. I'm not just going to submit my flagship or whatever because I have some sort of ego about it and I want it to be the best known beer. You know, it's not about that. It's about how fresh is it? What am I most proud of? What do I think, you know, has the best chance in its particular category? Uh, how deep is that category? It's very unlikely I'm ever going to enter anything like IPA, double IPA, hazy IPA. Um, you know, the things I've won for, strangely enough, like American Light Lager. Um, this year, uh, Best Florida Beer, I got something, I don't know what, until next week. But um, Wood or Barrel Age Strong Beer for my Red Wine Barrel Barley Wine. Um, you know, th there's so many different things to consider when you're entering these things. And, you know, it's who's doing the judging, how is the judging being done. There's some weird ones out there where it's like... The brewers are also judging, and that seems kind of weird, and hopefully they're not accidentally judging their own categories. I don't know how some of those things get sorted out sometimes. Um, but uh, – and, and like, you know, then there's like the National Honey uh, competition that I entered once and, and got a bronze for our wheat beer. You know, that is totally free to enter. You just have to ship them the beer. So, you know, cost, freshness, what are you most proud of? Um, you know, how deep is the competition? How difficult is it? They're all, they're all factors in, in what you're going to submit. And you bring up a, a great point in there that I, I'd like to outline for people who have never entered one of these types of competitions, what it's kind of like. And I'm looking at the World Beer Cups deadlines for this upcoming World Beer Cup that is uh, in April at CBC. So, Breweries had to register their beers, which beers they wanted to enter, November 26th through December 13th of 2019. That's a ways off to have to pick which beers that you uh, want to enter. And then 
for non-U.S. breweries, their uh, beer is due between February 17th and February 26th. That's three months, uh, possibly, from the time that they did that. American breweries have to have their beers in, uh, sent to Colorado by March 9th through the 13th, sent to Colorado. The World Beer Cup is in San Antonio this year for CBC, and the, the judging for that is the week of CBC. The award ceremony is April 22nd. So this beer could be going from Beijing to a consolidation point to Colorado, then to San Antonio. A lot of traveling going on. And uh, I assume that the Brewers Association moves their beer via refrigerated truck of some sort. But once that beer is out of your hands, there's a lot that could happen. Yeah. And, and, and these, again, were beers that you selected three months ago. A lot could change in that time that you're like, oh, shit, um... I might not be able to enter this uh, particular beer because it's not going to be ready, or I don't like this batch because it didn't come out very good. So there's there's a whole lot of weird things that can go on here. And uh, Phil, I've actually talked with uh, your head brewer, Wayne, about his ability and what goes into uh, picking beers. Have you ever had that conversation with him before? Because it seems like you guys would have like meetings and try all a bunch of different beers and to try to figure out which things you wanted to uh, enter. It's It's been quite some time since I sat down with him um, or, or was even part of some of those uh, discussions. Um, but there were, I, and there were and there still are meetings that have to do with what what beers go, what categories do we fit the best in, and how how do we better our chances? I I can talk to when I was selecting with my previous brewery. I mean, we were looking at age as probably more of a uh, deciding factor than anything else, and not freshness. We were looking for, we were a higher alcohol, Belgian-inspired brewery, um, and we really wanted something that was a, a quality representation, and sometimes bottle conditioning in particular it would take you know six months, nine months to really come to maturity to the point where we were really happy. So you're trying multiple batches of the same beer to try and figure out what batch makes the most sense to enter into, say, the Belgian quad category or the triple category. Those things are crazy hard to figure out. Um, but at least hopefully you have a category. When you're in a position like Joel just described where basically it's crowlers, I, I can remember counter-pressure filling low ABV beers at my previous brewery, packing them with ice packs to ship them out to Colorado to try and make sure that they got out there um, in, in, in a stable case. Um, and in 12-ounce bottles that are unlabeled, which we didn't bottle in 12-ounce bottles. So we literally had to go buy empty 12-ounce brown bottles, counter-pressure fill, cap, make sure we tested for a month in advance to make sure that the carbonation level was still right before they would sit down. It, it's actually really stressful. And, and I think that the thing that I am the most curious about, and that I've never... I'm not a BJCP certified sampler. Um, at one point in time, I was interested in it. I have spoken to some. I'm very interested in palate fatigue when it comes to sitting down and looking. I mean, think about all of the stress and the anxiety that it causes for the brewers to come together and put together a package and ship that package sometimes across the United States, sometimes across the world. If you're an international brewer, a, a applying for, um, you know, a great American beer festival, um, or, you know, any of those, all of that pressure comes down to literally the stress of us putting it into the box. And then it goes in front of the panel and the panel has 
500 IPAs to sample? At what point in time do all those IPAs taste the same? So I think when you look at the categories, and and, 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 and I'm not trying to lessen the importance of a metal because I think that they're really important, and I think that they do call out top-quality beers, but I do think it, it, I'm more curious, and I, I, as soon as I can find somebody that's BJCP certified that has sit, sat on a board to sample out beers, I will happily discuss it, or ha- hopefully we can have them on the podcast, but I'm really curious at palate fatigue, because how many times can you eat a saltine cracker to reset your palate? When you're sampling out 300 IPAs or 150 IPAs, and most of the time there's time limits on it where they have to get that whatever group it is, the Kolsch group, in and out within, you know, two hours. So it's, you know, one ounce pours all the way across. Man, I I don't know. It, it, it's it's really challenging. Um, and, and on the small brewer side, you almost live and die by them because you're looking at them and you're like, man, this is great exposure for my brewery if I can win a medal. Even and at the large brewery side, it. it's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. You can capitalize off of it. Because not winning is still a huge expense for a small brewery to enter because a lot of these competitions you have to pay per beer, like sometimes over a hundred dollars per beer just to enter and sometimes you're thinking it's over a thousand dollars just to get your beer out there oh yeah you know and that's shipping that's ice packs that's um maybe raw materials bottles caps if you don't bottle and cap good packaging material exactly all of that goes into it and there were definitely times at my old brewery where we were like man i did monetarily i don't know if it makes sense for us to enter this yeah, something like Best Florida Beer Competition, I want to say entries are $60 each and you can enter up to eight per brewery and your second beer is covered. Uh, one of them is regardless. But, um, you know, for me, I think I entered four at a total cost of $180. Fortunately, I just drove them there, you know, just took a day and, you know, figured I'd come up to St. Pete. <clears throat> but, you know, I don't think I would do that for... GABF or World Beer Cup. I mean, it, I, I, the shipping is so expensive. And it's not like you're going to go, yeah, give me the cheapest ground shipping possible. Like, I want it there immediately, right before that window closes. So it's at least the freshest representation it can be. And I want to say World Beer Cup was something like $180 per entry or something crazy. And I was just like, nah, let's skip that. The odds are so minimal and it's so expensive. It, you know, for us, be awesome, but I, you know, it's just one of those things, but not this time. So that's uh, funny. Yeah. The the odds piece is an interesting piece too, because I think we've all had that discussion where it's like, all right, so last year there were 700 entries in the IPA category, but there were only 200 entries in the WIT category. Hey, maybe we should go into the WIT category. Um, oh, there were only 80 entries in the barrel-aged strong beer category. Um, all right, do we put an imperial stout in that? Do we put a barley wine? Do we put a scotch ale? It, it, and it's it's so crazy because you look at the stats from the year prior to try and better your position, but then how many people are actually doing the same thing? It, I mean, we're talking about it. All three of us never had this discussion before. So obviously everybody's thinking about it the same way. I... But but if you're trying to play the numbers, which you know may or may not be a smart play, I guess depending on category, they're still judging the quality. You can't get a gold medal for a shit beer if you know, you're know you one of 24 entries. It's just not happening. And at GABF... They will not award a fucking gold medal winner if they don't want to. Which I think is awesome. And they get all the booze from the audience and people get pissed. But And and believe me, GABF Day, Twitter lights up with shit like that. There's a huge debate with that kind of stuff. And I love watching it and I honestly don't know how I feel about it. But you still have to submit quality. You still have to, you know, they're still judging based on the parameters to award that beer or that category some some kind of you know it has to be good and you know like i said just because you know you're one of a few doesn't mean you're automatically a winner and there's also another factor that i don't think what people want to talk about luck 
just plain old dumb fucking luck. Our friend Kevin, who you mentioned earlier, he will sit there and tell you, like, maybe they judge those beers on the following day and their palates are completely different and the awards go a completely different way. It's totally possible. Well, you're you're right. And it's funny that you, Phil, hit the segue that I was going on. I was exactly going to talk about, like, the kind of cherry-picking categories um, based off of previous entries and, and seeing if you can maybe make a beer that will become a winner just so that you can get a uh, try to win a a medal and i mean joel and i used to work for a brewery that we we tried that once and it didn't really work out in our favor we not, learned not our that. idea no it was not <laughs> uh but yeah there there's definitely people who do that i mean the fact that you thought of that at the same time that i was uh, is proof of that um and, and you, Joel, you're right. Dumb luck. Right place, right time. Like sometimes there are these these beers that transcend all logic with uh winning awards all the time. Like uh, uh one that comes to my mind uh right away is uh Fathead's Good Juju uh that I feel like they've won awards for that uh, like time and time again. Um because it's just a I guess completely to style guidelines and is a damn good beer, but it seems like every year with the IPA category, you're bound to see two or three new breweries that you've never heard of winning, winning of those. And then you might not see them again uh, just because it was maybe the right place at the right time. Well, and I think proof of that is, and it sort of goes back to Joel's point about, uh, they literally will not give a gold medal if they don't feel that there's a gold medal winning beer, which I think is pretty cool because they're all at that point in time, you're looking at everything as a, as a scale, right? So this is, you know, it, it's almost a grading scale of like a hundred all the way down to zero. Um, but when you look at that example in particular, where the unknown brewery comes in and wins that category, what I love seeing is the next year, when somebody doesn't win that category, but that unknown brewery still put in said beer that won a gold medal the year prior that didn't even win the gold medal again. All right. So was that an inconsistency thing or was that right place at right time with the right sampling without palate fatigue, et cetera? Those are, those are, you know, definitely interesting things that I know a lot of people think of, not just the three of us. Yeah, and that's what makes, I think, competition such a, a, a science of sorts uh, at, at point, and then also just a gamble. Uh, this it, it might even be closer to gambling than, than a science, uh, really, when it comes down to it. But, I mean, it, do, it doesn't really stop a lot of people from uh, trying i mean people go to casinos knowing that the odds are against them to win big and the same can be said about these uh big beer categories like like many hundreds of ipas uh but people still uh, that that number of entries grows every single year and it doesn't seem to turn enough people off to think that they can uh hedge their bet and beat the house is there anything else, uh, Joel, that you you think that we should be talking about when it comes to these competitions? I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't presume to tell other people how they should enter or not enter, or how you know how they should decide what they're going to do about these things. But I do encourage it. I mean, I never expected to win anything in anything I entered, and have been completely blown away by you know a few of the awards we have won and. I especially feel most proud about the ones that I know like fellow brewers appreciate, whether it's the brown ale or the lager and stuff like that. I never try to enter anything like real gimmicky and shit like that. It's always just stuff we're super proud of and, and hope to, you know, keep brewing. Um, you know, aside from this one we just entered, which is literally like the first barrel aged beer I've totally done like solo with no boss's input or anything like that. So 
you know, I think if you do win something, do your best to capitalize on it, market it, get it out there without being like super fucking arrogant and like we're the greatest in the world. You know, just say, hey, this is pretty cool. We won this. We, you know, we may have it on tap. Come check it out. Shit like that. Um, and just remember, like, it's going to be someone different next year. So, you know, don't, don't think you got this one award and, you know, it's the greatest of all time. So, you know, like I tell, like I try to tell people, you know, act like you've been there before, appreciate it when you get it. And, uh, even if you don't, don't feel bad about yourself. Don't feel like you deserved it. There is no deserve. Uh, you know, don't let it get you down. If you don't win anything, just keep trying, keep doing what you do. And, um, you know, just, just put the beer first, like I've always said. So well, question, question to you oh, guys, yeah. or uh, just overall in general, good or bad for the industry? Good. I think it's good, yeah. I agree. I mean, every... I do, I do disagree on the uh, GABF not giving out a gold medal. No, that's awesome. That just stirs we can, the pot. We can get, Come it, on. Yeah, we can get into that... Uh, uh, at some other uh, episode. Keep oh, come waiting. on. Uh, participation <laughs> awards suck. <laughs> I'm I'm honestly very split on it. I I don't, I'm I really I'm right down the middle. I I'm not for or against it. I really have a hard time when I think about it. But I do feel like even if it sucks that there is no gold, you have to imagine the silver award winners out there like, yeah, we really got the gold. Like we got the bet. You know what I mean? Like they have to take some comfort that at least even if it's a silver, they were the best of the bunch. It's like a hotel that doesn't have a 13th floor. Come on. 14th (laughs) floor. Oh yeah. You haven't seen You know what floor you're really on. (laughs) I, I, I mean, realistically, there's probably a gold medal winning beer in that category. Whenever they don't hand one out, there's, I'm sure there's some damn fine beers, literally top to bottom, because you wouldn't submit garbage. At least I, I hope you wouldn't. So I'm sure all the beers are really, really good. I just think it's funny just to watch, just to watch social media when they don't pass out the gold. I like it. It's my entertainment. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll just say this, like the. The Olympics do not go and not hand out a gold medal. They should uh, in a like one hundred meter dash. Like you know, you didn't try, that guy. He Sorry. was he was the winner, but you know, it's it was maybe silver. two seconds slower than last year, so he's just the silver. It was a good try, <laughs> but just you know, it wasn't Usain Bolt. And respectfully for the judges, please make your notes consistent legible. and oh my well, god legible that's legible legible number one consistent messaging number two like don't say perfect for the style perfect for the style perfect for the style should have entered another category or perfect for the style like th- there's always just some self-contradictory bullshit that it's like well what does that mean i uh, that's an awesome point because i was never more excited to open up comments about my beers from competition because I wanted to know why didn't I win? I looked at it as constructive criticism. How can I make this beer better? Was this beer not a hundred percent to style? Did this beer fall short in this area? Oh, we selected this beer over your beer because the carbonation level was off. Oh, okay. So my counter pressure butter, you know, hand bottle filler was jacked up in comparison. Maybe I need to, you know, look at my, look at my carbonation levels. I, if, if there is the ability, if you are a judge, please try and be as detailed as possible because the breweries do care about that shit. And in regards to like the one GABF that I entered, I did get my notes back and I did throw them in our pizza oven and it had nothing to do, <laughs> it had nothing to do with, you know, thinking like, oh, they're wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. Nothing egotistical, nothing like that. It was just... These notes are so fucking self-contradictory. If I can even read them, that it was just like, there's no useful information I'm getting out of this. There was no, like, try it in another category or anything useful I can do to apply to the beer I entered. Like, there was nothing I could use for next time. So, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was like like you were saying, uh, carbonation uh, to style. And then under the comments, uh, low carbonation. 
that's that's not too style then apparently or the ones that you just can't read yeah learn to type jesus and on that note it's malort time Mm, i'd love to join you i i need another beer well on that note i think it's time for last calls uh where we'll each get a little bit of time to voice our opinion on something unopposed uninterrupted phil why don't you kick things off here I would just like to thank my local convenience store, Orion, which is also known as Downstairs. Um, stellar beer selection, uh, lots of single serves, and their six packs are fantastic. And today I was able to bike ride over and just pick up a six pack. It's the best thing ever. I love it. Thank you, Downstairs Store. If you're a convenience store owner or someone that influences a buying transaction at a convenience store, Please think about your local neighborhood and purchase more craft beer. Um, I'm going to get into talking about some beer marketing here. Beer marketers, people, marketing firms, marketing people who are looking to get into working with breweries here. Don't just look at what other breweries have done on their marketing and think, let's do that. Because it's boring. I, I don't know how many times I still see marketing for breweries that are like, this is how beer is made. I don't need to see any more videos. I don't think most beer drinkers need to see any more videos about how the beer is made. If you want to know about that, you probably already know. Or you can look it up online. We don't need a brewery telling us time and time again how the beer is made and just creating silly things for engagement and keep on saying engagement 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 like be unique be different don't be boring don't just look at someone else's facebook and be like we need to do that for this client and also breweries if you're working with a marketing firm and you think that they're doing something lame and boring Say no. Be like, no, we don't want to do that. That's been done. Go back to a drawing board. You're paying them with your money. So don't do something that you don't want to do for your company if you don't think that it's worth the time. And I think that a lot of breweries need to be able to stick up for themselves in that. Yes, they are the marketing people. They are. They should be the experts. But you know this industry and you have hopefully looked at a lot of other breweries, marketing and social media to know what works and doesn't work to a certain extent and what has been overplayed over time. So beer marketing, if you're just getting into this, think outside of the box. Do not just go with the status quo of what everyone else is doing because it's boring, it's lame. And breweries, don't be afraid to say no to a a marketing firm that you're working with that uh, has these ideas that you think are boring and lame. Joel? So I was listening to a podcast recently. I don't remember which one it was. I do recall that it was like a couple comedians talking to each other. One of them said something that was like this truth bomb. Like, you ever get hit with one of those truth bombs and you're like, fuck, like, can't you just let me be set in my ways and not correct me and, you know, turn my whole mentality on its head? But somebody had said something about how, you know, people are, you know, like, oh, there's no good music anymore because the music from back in the day that they do love reminds them of a time when, you know, they didn't have student loans. Like, it's all nostalgia and not necessarily the quality of the music. And I was like, God, I was driving along and I heard this and I was like, God damn it. Can't you just let me be set in my ways and enjoy shit? Not past like 1996, but, um, and I'm horrible at finding new music. I'm especially horrible at finding stuff that is not, you know, commercially available, especially like when, when I hear some of the things that you guys listen to, I'm like, where the fuck did they find that? Like what, it's not on the radio. It's not like, there's just certain things that I'm just like, I don't know where they found that. But, um, and I will give a shout out to Phil's wife's radio station because I have heard some really incredible shit on there recently. And like, to me, South Florida FM radio has just been a festering garbage fire for two decades but 
Recently, I've really been listening to that station quite a bit, and I have heard some shit that has blown me away. Um, sort of like some kind of poppy alternative type stuff, but really just enjoyable shit. And I have a very hard time finding new stuff that makes me feel something. I feel like music has really suffered in quality in the past couple decades, and there's not a whole lot of heart and soul behind it. But I have just heard some shit lately that, like, really made me challenge myself as as far as what's good out there and, and if there's new stuff coming out that actually is worthwhile. So, um, and not only that, but also, yes, a lot of the old shit is nostalgic and makes you think of better times, whatever. But remember when like a new music video was a big fucking deal? Like music videos at one point were like blockbuster movies. I re- I will go down the YouTube rabbit hole and I'll just be like, holy shit, like fucking Guns N' Roses November Rain. Like that is an epic fucking nine minute video. (laughs) Phil's pretending to hang himself. Um, You know, even like Madonna shit. Like it's it's insane how you go back and really realize how powerful and epic some of that shit was when it was just like standard commercial stuff to us it was just what we had on the radio and there is a lot of powerful shit from back then it's not all nostalgia and i'm glad that my mind has been open to new shit and i look forward to hearing even more new stuff awesome well you could just listen to our podcast or our, uh, podcast spotify channels i mean <laughs> come on. and you know and i was going to playlists yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, we got to like switch that up and give them themes. Not just like, here's the category, but like, here's what I listen to when I'm driving. Here's what I listen to when I'm studying. Shit like that. You know what I mean? You can. Nothing's, nothing's stopping Nobody's you. Nobody's holding you back that. from doing that shit. <laughs> I, Phil, I Phil gave had a, his workout. Yeah, Jim. Uh, I got a theme for my next one. I okay. think I'm next as it is. You are. Yeah. Oh, it's a good one. Tune into that Tune into mini, the episodes. mini episode. Um, well, did you did you actually plug her uh, radio station? I didn't hear you say. I didn't say, say what it was. I don't know what kind of weird fucking boundaries we have here. That's why I didn't even drop names. But one zero four three, the shark, South Florida. There you go. Yeah, if you can get past the fucking Coldplay and Imagine Dragons, there's some seriously good shit on there, and I'm <laughs> honestly super surprised to find it. Like it's. I love like little pleasant surprises like that, like little hidden gems and shit. So I was I was really blown away, and just like the past couple days. And alternative rock and and active rock are definitely two genres that are just underplayed in terrestrial radio right now. So uh, we're lucky to have something like that in South Florida. I miss the buzz. Yeah, Zeta. I, I was Zeta, Zeta too, guy. Yeah. W S H E. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I listen to a lot of NPR now, so. All right. Um, plug time. Joel, anything you want to plug? Florida, D-U-H Brewer on Instagram, Twitter, and I don't know, uh, Friendster. <laughs> uh, at Dos Birigos on Twitter, now on Untapped. Um, <laughs> and uh, my LinkedIn profile. Uh, I'll plug uh, my my accounts at Mike Loves Beer on Instagram and Twitter. Oh, also I uh, I started a new little uh, thing on my website, MikeLovesBeer.com, called Ticker, where I am reviewing different aspects of the uh, beer industry and beer world without reviewing actual beers. Uh, I reviewed and rated Selling Out in my first. Uh, edition and I have by the time this episode comes out I will have my review of Cascale coming out uh, on well, MikeLovesBeer.com be 5 out of 5 uh, I will be hopefully dropping one a week uh, on this so um, also you can follow the podcast at United We Drink on Twitter at United We Drink Pod on Instagram. Our website is unitedwedrink.com. Uh, you can f- 
listen to the show on any of the major podcast networks, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever fine podcasts are found. Buy a shirt, sticker, button at our web store, unitedwedrink.com slash store. We got a brand new t-shirt that I really like uh, up there right now. Kind of a little uh, pentagram and uh, beer uh, shirt. It's a fun one. Uh, so uh, go support the show by buying a shirt there. Uh, the next main episode, we don't know what we're going to talk about yet. Hot mics. So, hot mics. Just hot a lot mics. of drinking and hot mics. <laughs> so, so there's going to be a bunch of me's just that look better than me. That's what uh, less clothing mics. than what you have on right now. But yes. Oh, okay. Maybe we can get everyone on a Google Hangout uh, and uh, take part in that one. Uh, also, listen to our mini episode next week. We got some uh, fun uh, questions that I think can uh, ruffle some feathers around here. So tune into that. Um, for everyone else here, we'll see you then. Cheers. See you. Cheers. I was really disappointed to see the, uh, Jesus, I'm fucking having a rough show. Lots of editing going into this one. <laughs> Mike's happy because he's got something to put on the end of the show. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, going to be a yeah, shit yeah, ton yeah. of the B-real shit.